Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music. I am Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And each episode of Book Music, we discuss one specific book on music. It could be a memoir from a musician. It could be about music history. It could even be a fictional character who is a musician or composer. But nevertheless, on book music, it's always books on music. Is that, that's true, right? I think that's a very accurate description of our okay. podcast, Tosh. I've, I've, <laughs> I've been doing this for like 54 times already. Uh, so yeah, trying, 56. 56. 56, excuse me. And I'm trying to be more, uh, it's more on the button here what the show is right. about. Right. It takes me a long time. I'm, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> Maybe by the hundredth episode, you'll have it. <laughs> and a slow Goals. reader, and a slow <laughs> reader as well. Um, today, we're going to talk about a book titled "Rants and Stories: Unstrung of a Noise Guitarist," written by Mark Rabot, published by Akasic Books. Who are who do numerous books on fiction? They're really really good uh, publishers. They've been around for some years now, and they're a really good indie book publishing business. And uh, Mark Rabot is probably one of the this country, meaning the United States of America, one of its better musicians, a great 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 guitarist. And this is Mark Rabot's first book as a writer, and um, Rants and Stories, Unstrung, of a Noise Guitarist. Now, is that the title? I thought it was Unstrung, and then the subtitle is Rants and Stories of a Noise oh, Guitarist. Oh, my God. Hold on a second. No, <laughs> I think the okay. way the graphics on the cover make it a little confusing. Yes. Okay, yeah. this is, this is, I'm, okay, this is. This, this is enlightening to you. <laughs> yeah. We should leave this, we, this should be in part of the show, because I'm reading this from the cover. Right, and, uh, yeah, and we, the and graphics we, break it apart. Yeah, yeah. And, and red lettering, rants and stories, and then red lettering of a noise guitarist, but in giant white font, it says unstrung. And then when you look on the side of the book, it just says unstrung. Oh, what do you, what do you prefer? Well, what, what, I think it's unstrung and then like a subtitle is rants and stories of a noise guitarist. And if you look on the title page, though, it's the same graphic, yeah. Yeah, it says in, in, in same coloring, rants and stories, unstrung. Okay, let's do a proper. That doesn't title. make it doesn't make sense. Unstrung of a noise guitarist. It, no, rants and stories of a noise guitarist makes. Let's, sense. Let the listeners decide. Okay, here we go. <laughs> title one. Title one. Rants and stories, unstrung of a noise guitarist, or choice number two, unstrung. Rants and stories of a noise guitarist. That's the one I'm voting for. You're voting for that one. <laughs> so unstrung needs to be need to be emphasized. Yeah, yeah, I think. And unstrung is an interesting name. I mean, that's such a guitar title book. I mean, because like you know, obviously a guitar has strings, uh-huh. and you unstrung it, which means a guitar without any strings, I guess, right? Right, right. And there's a noise guitarist involved like, of a noise guitarist and all music is really noise. It's organized noise. Right. 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 I did think it was interesting that he actually refers to himself as a noise guitarist. Um, a lot of times people don't want to sort of categorize themselves and he sort of yeah clearly made a very deliberate decision to say I'm a noise guitarist, even though he does quite a lot of other things besides 
the sort of avant-garde atonal music. Yeah, to me, he's a guitarist of great taste. Yeah. If you need absolutely. noise, he'll do the noise. If it needs some like beautiful melodies played on, on the strings of the guitar, he can mm-hmm. do that as well. But he always has an edge. He's never like too pretty, too noisy. It's sort of a a marriage between the two styles. And that's like, right. his, to me, that's like his his work or his personality for, for that instrument. Right. And I think he gets into that a bit in the first essay, yeah. which was probably my favorite essay in the book, Yeah, where he's talking about how he likes to turn up his amp. It's called Lies and, uh, and Distortion. Yeah. He talks about how he likes to turn up his amp so loud that he gets this distortion. And I get the sense for him that the idea of perfection is anathema to him. You know, he yeah. likes pushing things so far that they that they nearly break. You know, he likes when somebody pushes their voice so far that it sort of starts to crack, or you know, a yeah. saxophone starts screeching. Like he, I, I can tell that he's uh, that's something he uh, really enjoys and appreciates when people push themselves yeah. to sort of a breaking point, and there's that kind of weird nobility to that kind of pursuit. Well, you know? and, and to be perfectly honest, whenever you hear Mark Rabot, either under his own name, you know, like a record that he, he made himself as an artist, or him working with people like uh, John Zorn um, or um, David Sylvian, uh, and especially Tom Waits. I mean, it's, Maybe for me, that's the first time I heard of Mark Rabot when he. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's his first when he time. when he started doing the weird Tom Waits you know, right. <laughs> records from, from the early Tom Waits, and it's 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 definitely um, beautifully played guitar playing, but it's also there's also sort of chaos that's sort of organized or controlled chaos in his playing, mm-hmm. and that makes him a, a very much unique uh, player. And, and you're right, the first essay that he wrote is sort of talks about that subject matter and the, and the, and the, and he likes loud amplifiers. He puts it in 10 or 11. Exactly. Exactly. It, it was funny. Cause he did make a little joke about how dear readers, if you think this is compensation for something, it's not. <laughs> Correct. He just likes the noise. That's the noise. He makes funny commentary on on heavy metal guitarists. Uh, I'm, I'm presuming like hair band type of uh, group. Right, how, how right. For our listeners who aren't super familiar with him, because he's not, I mean, I suspect most of our listeners kind of have an idea of who he is because they're mostly music geeks, I think. But, um, you know, he's not sort of mainstream. He plays with a lot of, you know, mainstream people like Tom Waits and Elvis Costello. And um, I didn't know he played with David Sylvian. You mentioned David yeah, Sylvian. Yeah, one of the later David Sylvian albums. One of his classic solo albums from, oh, okay. um, from like the early 2000s or late 90s. Um, I can't remember, remember which one. Um, uh, but yeah, it's one, it's one of the classic Sylvian recordings and he play, he plays on it. Right. So, I mean, Mark is one of those people that if you're one who reads the liner notes, you know who he is. Yes. <laughs> but he also does a lot of um, music, uh, music of other cultures, not just Western right. music. You know, he does a lot of South American music. Right. Um, he's very open to experimenting and, and things that he's not familiar with. Yeah. So oddly enough, you know, I can always tell his guitar work, whatever record I'm listening to. If he's on that album, it's clearly Mark Rabot. Mm-hmm. I mean, a very stylistic, very individualistic uh, player. In a way, sort of like, um, not sound-wise, but like I can always tell Robert Fripp when he's playing guitar, you know, on a, on a record. Of course, King mm-hmm. Crimson, but 
on Bowie's rec recordings or other people's recordings. This mm-hmm. very distinctive stylist. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that because I was watching an interview of him online on YouTube uh, yesterday and uh, the interviewer asked him something about his style and, and he sort of felt like it was a failure on his part that he had a style. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then he's a failure. I'm a because <laughs> he's definitely a strong, uh, a strong individual player. Now, even with right. his John Zorn stuff and, and, for those who are not familiar with John Zorn's music, uh, it's easy available, of course. But you know, Zorn doesn't stream his music online, so you no. have to actually buy the records or or have a yeah. friend who has it, yeah. and uh, or nor on YouTube, as far as I know. But John Zorn is a New York composer, contemporary New York composer, musician, who does all, he has his own record label, and he does his, uh, all sorts of music that he composes with all sorts of musicians. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of the keen of the what we call the downtown New York world of sound. Right. And Mark Rabot has been a uh, since the '80s a, a member of of the Zorn world for you know for for decades now. Right. The whole downtown. And, yeah. Seen lounge lizards and. Lounge, yes, John Lurie, lounge lizards, all the noise bands from you know that period, and that whole sort of uh, uh, East Side, East Village early Soho, New York right. world, right. Uh, which is fascinating. Um, I kind of wish that Mark Rebeau wrote, wrote about that period more. Um, it's a very strange book to me, Unstrong, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, it's very much a, a schizoid book. Um, you know, it's a book I don't love, to be honest, but I admire it. And I really like the first half when he talks about music specifically, not yes. just because we're book music, I don't have a craving to only read music books, but you know, but but I feel that that part of the book could have continued more, or or there should be more longer pieces, or um, because the first half of the book he talks about music, but he also talks about um, sort of a a, a remembrances of of, of musicians who passed away uh, not long ago, Um, and. it's very touching what he writes about these people. Um, Robert Quinn, Bob mm-hmm. Quinn, who was the guitarist for uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, most famously. Mm-hmm. But Quinn was another like important guitarist figure in the whole New York world and scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Zorn to, uh, of course, Richard Hell and Brian Eno, who played with Eno. Eno was in New York. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these are very prominent voices and prominent musicians and very individualistic players so it's nice to read some literature from a special um guitarist as mark rabot talking about another musician is quite lovely and quite uh, and quite moving um right and then the second part of the book is sort of like like very short short fiction or like film treatments that are kind of abstract and right. well, they at, call them film mistreatments. Yeah, and that's maybe a good terminology. <laughs> in a way, you know, it's funny. It reminds me a little bit of like uh, uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's uh, book of film treatments many years oh, ago. Oh, interesting. I'm not familiar with that. Oh. Yeah, but many years ago, there was a book. I forgot the title. It's a book put up by Antonioni uh, sometime in the late 80s. And it's a collection of uh, uh, film treatments of works that he didn't complete or didn't finish but this oh, has like, but he has like a one page or two page uh-huh. treatment of each you know each chapter right. is like a treatment right. film. and 
when I read uh, Rabot's mistreatments, uh-huh. it, sort of, it sort of reminded me of Antione's uh, work in a way. Okay, um, interesting. Because <laughs> Antione's uh, treatments are very abstract and sort of like mood pieces. You know, he didn't write like, it's not like a um, uh, girl goes into department store, picks a gun up, shoots everybody or something. <laughs> That's my film treatment there. That's not. <laughs> but it's more sort of a mood pieces or more of a, um, you know, have a fear. Yeah. Well, I think all of his uh, sort of more fictionalized stuff definitely had sort of an ab- absurdist tendency. I mean, I yeah. think the whole last section uh, called Sorry, We're Experiencing Technical Difficulties. These were all sort of little absurdist parables. Yeah. Um, and it was funny. There was one about a child, a, a boy who wanted to graft himself to a tree. Yes. And it sort of made me think of um, Italo Calvino's The Baron in the Trees, ah. which is a story about a boy who decides he wants to live in the trees, and he does for the rest of his life. Yeah. It was kind of a, uh, then I kind of went, yeah, he's got a little bit of a Calvino thing going on in his stories. Yeah, there's like, they're like fables. Yeah. Right? yeah uh, they're so, sort of, or like, not fairy tales, but, you know, sort yeah. of folk tales yeah. in the story. Yeah. Okay, the first, again, the first half of the book is music essays or essays about musicians and... The music life. There's a lot of stuff about being on the road, touring. Yeah. And then the second half are these sort of fables or film mistreatments. Right. It was interesting when I was looking at the reviews that people were writing on Goodreads, a lot of people thought it was a memoir Mm -hmm. and were either disappointed or I don't know that it was kind of like, well, it's clearly not a memoir. You know, there's some autobiographical stuff in it. And I'm sure that some of the fictionalized stuff has autobiographical references, but it's fictionalized. Um, You know, I don't think he ever said it was a memoir. No, but if you look at the title, well, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag of things. You know, I, I gather yeah. that this is a collection of stuff he's been writing over the years. And um, he said in the interview that I watched with him yesterday, he said a friend of his said, oh, you should do something with this. And he showed it to somebody at Akashic and they really dug it and they decided to put it out. But, uh-huh. um, you know, I don't think he ever was writing it necessarily with the idea of writing a whole book. So it's just kind of a collection of things that he's, I believe he's been writing over the years for some time. So... Yeah, if I was the editor, I'm not. <laughs> if I was the editor, I mean, this is interesting. You know, I as I read the book, I I, I looked at it as an editor or as a publisher because I, I I am was am a publisher, yeah. and I would probably insist that there should be like two books. I think a, a book about music writing and then another book of um, you know like his fictional fable mistreatment writing. Um, uh-huh. I don't feel the two sections fit well in one volume, but mm. um, but again, I keep going back on this. We we talked about this off mic um, for the past week about this book, and you know, I thought you know, some days I said I don't really don't like it, and other days I said, well, you know, it's really well written. It's a good, you know, it's a good book, you know. Uh-huh. And um, I'm still, as I speak right now, I'm still not I'm, I'm not sure about the book, which is a rarity. <laughs> Because most, if not all the books we have done in the past, I either really like it, which mostly I did, or I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, but this one, I have, I have, uh, I'm sort of struggling with if I really like it or not. 
Right. Well, I mean, for me, some sections I liked better than other sections, for sure. I mean, I did really like the music bits probably more than the fictionalized bits. Well, why Why is that? Why do you like the music uh, pieces better? Um, well, I think, you know, the fictionalized bits were fun. You know, I, I enjoy mm-hmm. his absurdist sense of humor, but I didn't feel that that's his strength. You know, yeah. I think there's uh-huh. other people who do that much better. Um, whereas I felt like the, the stuff about music was really interesting. You know, I really liked when he was talking, um, about his first guitar teacher, Franz Cassius. Yes. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because I actually didn't know a whole lot about, uh, Ribot before. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I know I'm familiar with his work, but I didn't know about him personally. And I didn't realize that he was so politically active. Um, yeah, I didn't either. No, I didn't know that about that side of him. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. Um, and I was, I did find it really interesting, uh, you know, how he was talking about his teacher and how his teacher didn't get his royalties until he was basically on his deathbed. Yeah. And, you know, he gets, he so uh, the economic difficulties that most musicians have to deal with um, is a big topic for him and a big part yeah. of his political. But activity. the sad part to me is he got his royalties, but it comes to $16,000. Right. That's not like um, a music. Yeah, you know, it's not money he made one year. <laughs> right. That's like a lifetime. A yeah. lifetime. Of, yeah, a lifetime. Yeah. Of work. And, and, yeah. And I'm like, okay, sixteen thousand dollars. You know, and that, and that is what is rightfully owned to him, probably. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, it's a lot of money. I mean, if you get sixteen thousand, well, in one chunk, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but not for a lifetime. No. No, it's very sad. In fact, this book I put. I, there's there's a lot of sadness in this book. Um, yeah, the the politics are sad. Uh, not the political stance, but it's like a really uphill battle against the corporations. You know, uh, you know, especially specifically with music streaming and how record labels and the streaming companies do that business. Right. But also the passing of musicians. Of um, you know, he's not writing about like Jimi Hendrix. Ah, oh, we all love Hendrix or. Right. Bowie, oh, we all love Bowie. Everybody loves Bowie, or you know, or go on and on. But he writes about uh, musicians who are very close to the community in New York or his right. inner community, and they're technically not artistically; they're all uh, successful. But it's argumentative if they got their dues or not, or you know, it's, more, it's beyond the money thing. The reputation is solid with fellow musicians and artists. Mm-hmm. But probably not that many people know who Robert Quinn is. I mean, they may know who Richard Hell right. is, but they don't know the name of Quinn. Or is right. it Quine? Is it Robert Quine? Yeah, I always thought it was Quine. I don't know. Robert but Quine. But yeah, I mean, yeah. getting back to the idea, I mean, it's a really, he makes the point, I mean, at the end of the essay on his guitar teacher, he makes the point, it all comes down to value Will we as a society choose to value cultural creativity or not. Yeah. And that's, that really, like... For me, that was like, oh, you know, that like almost stops my heart because that's so obviously so important to us. Yeah. Um, I was joking the other day, you know, that the only reason I even bother getting out of bed is because of my loved ones and and the arts, you know, it's like that's what, you know, makes life so rich. Yeah. And um, it is interesting that we don't seem to value it monetarily, you know. Yeah. 
and what's going to happen to these musicians if they, you know, with the streaming now, it's just gotten ridiculous. The only way they really can make a living is playing live. Yeah, it's merch interesting stable. that people still value, people will pay to see a live performance, but they don't want to pay for the recording. What's the disconnect there? It is a huge disconnect. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, I think because people feel like, okay, I'm paying for Apple Music, which I have, and I paid. Right. Nine dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> I do pay for the Apple Music, and I'm playing. Right. I listen to records or music on there. So therefore, of course, the artists are getting paid. I'm sure there's a lot of that perception, which is wrong. Uh, but also, I think um, the sense of ownership has been deeply challenged by institutions and companies and and uh, tech companies. You know, like the need to own an object of music. Like I buy a record, that's my record, that's my CD. Yeah. Where all of a sudden it's like, well, we can just share it, right? You don't need to buy it or own it, yeah. you know? And then you can yeah. have like a lot more music because you don't have to worry about storage space or, you know. Right. Nobody's going to get mad at you if you get like lots of music in the house because it'll be on your computer or on your, your iPad. <laughs> no spousal issues. <laughs> that's not saying. <laughs> You're not talking from experience. Oh, of course you? not. No, of course not. This is a very, very um, loving abstract home. conversation. Yeah, yes. abstract. Talking about we're talking about the normal people, <laughs> the commons. As someone mentioned it, the commons. But you know, it is swinging back because I think people are sort of realizing the importance of actually having an object in your hand that you can actually put on a turntable and you can watch it spin around, and of yeah. course you can hold the record cover and look at it and think about yeah. the music and you know you can't really do that on a computer because when you're on the computer i'm usually writing something or working on something yeah and I, you're doing other things yeah i don't yeah or are they are they hook it up to their speakers and they let the music run and not think about you know that's sort of ambient yeah yeah no it's a completely different thing yeah. and i mean i totally relate to i have zero interest in purchasing digital files like there's nothing satisfying about nothing that. You know, Nothing. It's like it's I definitely zero. want to go buy vinyl. Yes. Um, you know, the things that I really like, I go buy on vinyl. Yeah. Even though I do listen to streaming music a lot. But, I do too. But if it's something I really like, I want to own it on vinyl. But yeah, I, I, I won't purchase a digital file. That just seems so weird. Like, what? why? I listen to streaming music like radio. It's uh-huh. radio. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. All like, or, you know, it's great. Like, oh, what does this sound? Like, same as YouTube. Yeah. Who's this band? You can play it. Yeah. And, you know, so instead of going to the record store and having them play the record for you, which not every record store can do, yeah. uh, you can, you know, that's a great thing. That's a great service. You know, like, okay, right. I want to hear, uh, I, I want to hear some Mark Rebeau's work that I, that's not accessible to me for whatever reason. Yeah. And that's a great thing that, that, that they offer that service. But it's not meant to be a free service or if I'm paying like, $10 a month for Apple Music, something should go to the musicians more than, yeah, you know, yeah. more than uh, half a cent after each, you know, listen or whatever, the ridiculous amount of you know, yeah, money. It's that, nothing. That's yeah, nothing. It's, it's nothing. So what do you think about these NFTs? I was reading an article that, uh, you know, they're saying NFTs are a way for musicians to make some money. 
but I, I do not understand the appeal of buying an NFT. It's if people don't know, it's the non, non-fungible tokens. It's where they make what they claim is a unique digital file. It has some kind of digital signature on it and they're doing it more with art, but they're also starting to get into it with music. Uh-huh. You haven't heard about uh-huh. this, Tosh? I heard about the visual art part of it. Right. Not, so no, they're, yeah, no, they're thinking about trying to do this with music so musicians can make money via these nfts and some there are a few musicians big names i can't remember now maybe halsey was one of them i can't remember but Uh there are a couple of you know current uh artists who've been playing with nfts um but i do not uh like i would never buy an nft that doesn't appeal to me because again it's still just a digital file it's yeah um, but I don't see the value in that to me. It's, I think you're choosing between two, like a free digital and a paid digital. I think people just think, I, well, I'll just go for the free digital. Digital, You know, like the yeah. medium is important. Like digital is digital. Uh-huh. Uh, vinyl is vinyl. CD is CD. You know, eight track is eight track. And I think, right. you know, choosing between a make-believe vinyl record and a real vinyl record. You know what I mean? It's like, that's no right. choice to me. Like, I'll get the real vinyl record. Or, right. you know, the digital is, exists as, as Apple Music and Spotify. That's real. So what's the NFT? It means like, oh, that means the musician gets It's a some kind of, you know, singular digital file that can't be replicated. Like, it's got some kind of digital signature. I mean, mm-hmm. in my mind, it's total bullshit. It's like... I, I just think like Andy Warhol would have a field day with this. He would just be like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going to make billions with this. Right. Uh-huh. You know, it's like one of those things that really sort of points out um, the kind of BS factor in the economics of uh, the art world. And, you know, uh-huh. um, it, it's people I think people who buy these are buying them as an investment and it has nothing to do with any kind of aesthetic value. Right. Um, they think they're going to buy it and then they might try to resell it somehow. But it's like, it's such an abstracted value. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, but I, I find it very interesting. Like I said, I think it's the kind of thing that Andy Warhol would have a field day with because it really points out the hypocrisy. Huh. NFT, NFT, they call this. Yeah, NFT. NFT. It stands for non fungible token, I believe. Non fungible. So, <laughs> something the- that. Something you can't supposedly replicate, although I suspect that an NFT would be easier to replicate by somebody who's good with computers than it would be for, say, somebody to forge a piece of art. Like that takes some real skills. NFT <laughs> is such an unsexy word. Yeah, I know. Uh, fungible is not a sexy word. <laughs> NFT. Even digital, as bad as that can't be, it's like, oh, you're so digital. <laughs> oh my God, it's such a digital thing. I love it. I hate it. Not analog, but so digital. But digital and analog, I love it. But NFT, NFT, that's like uh, has no emotion. That has no. Uh, it's not sexy. Has no presence. Has nothing. No, I know, I know. But it'll be interesting to see if this is something that can uh, help musicians. I mean, I'm all in favor of any way for a musician yeah. to find a way to to fund their creative outlets. Well, the only one successful so far is Drake, right? I mean, it seems like Drake <laughs> is, successful Drake. In, yeah, is, is successful in every medium possible of, okay. of music. music <laughs> He's one of those people who I know who he is, but I don't really pay any attention. Oh, you don't, you don't follow Drake? Oh, man. No, no, sorry. You got to get with it there, Kimley. I know, I'm so out of it. 
<laughs> I, I don't know who Drake is. I would be curious what uh, Revo thinks of NFTs. Yes, he doesn't. What, he doesn't get into that. But no. I mean, I'm, I know he doesn't like the whole streaming thing. He's definitely against all that, or mm-hmm. at least he's you know he's he's not happy with the the economic situation of how. I wonder how he feels about musically, like sound wise. You know, because a lot of people like Neil Young is famous for hating digital sounds, or um, right. Um, Jim O'Rourke, uh, I know, doesn't is not a big fan of digital oh, okay. sounds. Uh, um, you know, so there's, there's people who really just do not like the medium of digital sounds. They find it very, yeah. it cheapens the music. It sort of uh, puts music in a box of some sort and, and sonically, you know, orally. I'm guessing uh, he probably doesn't like it. As someone who we discussed earlier sort of finds the appeal in the imperfect, I'm guessing he might yes. think digital is too cold. Yes, yeah. And Mark Rabot's music is totally like has moments of imperfectionism in its perfect world in a way you right. know um right. but you know the earlier uh earlier this morning i listened to his album uh, songs of resistance 1942 2018 and i like it a lot yeah i listened to that the other day too um and his approach to p- politics i mean that's like it that's his political album um yeah are you familiar with Charlie Hayden's Liberation Music Orchestra record? Do you no, know that band? No. Uh-uh. Troy Hayden is a, um, a, a yeah, a I know great, who Charlie Hayden is. Great bassist, jazz bassist, who worked with Ornette Coleman at the height of Ornette Coleman's, you know, intensity. And uh, Charlie Hayden started a group called Liberation Music Orchestra with uh, Carol Bly and some other, you know, contemporary musicians of the '70s, mostly jazz. But it's them covering like uh, political folk songs of or, or specifically like in um, Central and South America, mm-hmm. and it's kind of rain, reminds me a little bit of Robert Wyatt when he does political songs. So, so, mm-hmm. so Mark Rabot's album reminds me a lot of that style of political songs, like sort of folk uh, orientated songs dealing with you know left wing politics usually and. Um, and they're really, really good. And I like the, I like the, I like Rabot's recordings of uh, of these songs. Mm-hmm. It's good. And some originals. He wrote, he wrote some of the songs off uh, songs of resistance. He has an essay about that album in the book. Yeah. And um, I thought it was interesting that he did sort of acknowledge how you know all sides of the political spectrum use music mm-hmm. as an instigation, as a motivation. And um, you know, he said uh, he did make an interesting comment. He said something about how the difference between the right and the left is the left will acknowledge sadness. Uh, that wow, that's interesting. Not only interesting, it's so freaking true. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing between the left and right. The right is always right. <laughs> 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 Therefore, that's why they're the right. And and. Uh, and the left acknowledges um, uh, complexities in a personality or one's right. life or, or systems. Right. And but that can also be a hindrance in a way, you know. <laughs> well, it is true. I mean, he, what he speaks about is, he, I mean, first of all, his album Songs of Resistance is sad. It's a, mm. it's it's sad sound. It's not like, oh man, I'm about to march today with this song. This is it. You know, it's you know, it's like a Slade song. You know, come on, everybody, yeah. feel the noise. It's not. <laughs> so let's go out there and eh, right, you know. right. it's not anarchy in the UK like eh. it's, just, it's it's sort of like sad ballads about getting together but you know it's not gonna, it's not going to happen <laughs> yeah he's very circumspect about it for sure and, and Robert Wyatt's 
political songs on his solo albums and, and recordings he did with other people. He has such a sad, beautiful voice. Yeah. That he just melancholy. brings out a haunting, yeah. you know, like, oh, this is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's just like, and, and, and same with the Troy Hayden Liberation Music Orchestra. It's not, it's big music, but it's yet it's done in a very sort of sad manner in a way. And, um, and that brings up the picture because I think about like the you know like in how the media or how the right and the left position themselves in in, in culture as well as in uh, online media as well as in media in general. Mm-hmm. It the left is always kind of sad. It always kind of uh, has the feelings of regret or or resignation, or resignation, or yeah. or something a little bit uptight because they work really hard and it didn't work out somehow. You know? Right. <laughs> but the right never admits defeat. The right no. never, ever quits. Even when they're wrong, they just double on the wrongness. Right, right, right. Trump still won. <laughs> well, our, 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 current, our current president is, is definitely a product of that. But generally, you know, people like um, the contemporary Republicans just don't give up. Yeah, they know it's wrong, but what the hell? They got they have a goal in mind, and nothing will stop them from that right. goal. Full right? steam ahead. Yeah, you know, whether it's abortion, you know, you know, get you know, get rid of abortions. That's the goal. Right. How they get there, it doesn't matter. We will get there just if we just keep our heads down right. and onward. And right. I'm sure they have great music to go with it. That's probably like you know, this pumps it Right, heart. right. He does mention the you know the infamous "Born in the USA" Springsteen song being used by Reagan, completely misunderstanding the meaning of the song. <laughs> yeah, and you know Bruce, you know, give him some credit. Bruce definitely corrected that, but even he, he his voice was so quiet compared to uh, Reagan's voice over the over that music. You know, uh-huh. and, so, and and Reagan and the right took over that song completely. Yeah, I think other I think other Republicans have actually used it even more recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, don't you people listen to these lyrics before it, you? It use doesn't this? matter. <laughs> no, because they only care about the "Born in the USA" part. Not only that, yeah. but it has upbeat. It's like there. It's yeah, born, you know. sure, sure. I mean, like we figure like Trump's campaign songs, "The Stones," you can't get what you want. You can't always get what you want. Yeah, that sounds really uplifting. But you know, uh, Heart of Stone. I remember, remember playing Heart of Stone. Really? Oh God! Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, it's not even hiding. They're hiding yeah. in plain black. It's not like yeah, yeah. they're not being subversive. They just take it and steal it. <laughs> and same as it it's, same as streaming music. You know that culture yeah. is just take it and you use it and you uh, you know screw the artists and the songwriters. So yeah. So if this is something that uh, gets you upset, uh, Mark actually has a whole activism section on his website. So <laughs> yes, he does. Yes. you can go check out that on his website. I think it's yeah. markribo.com. So uh, yeah, Ransom stories, unstrung or unstrung Ransom stories. <laughs> um, you know, it's a it's, it's a very interesting book. You know, I I don't want to be negative on it because there's nothing really to be negative about it. It's mostly I think for me like an editing issue or yeah, just or, a little or, too disjointed for you. Just for me. Yeah. I think it would be yeah. stronger if it's all like his music writing. Cause his music writing is very, very good. I feel yeah. he's, um, uh, his focus on musicians who deserve more attention. Mm-hmm. On the other end, it's obituaries <laughs> on these, on these right. that need attention. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it is is great, and his you know his his take on music about noise amp, uh, amplifiers you know sort of guitar talk is wonderful. 
Right. Uh, it, and his fictional parts are not bad by any means. It's just oh no, I I enjoyed the book. I think I liked it more than you did. Yeah, I like his sense of humor. You know, he's got a definitely uh, wicked, you know, black sense of humor, and uh, I really like that. And um, you know, he's clearly extremely intelligent. Very yes, he is very intelligent. He's yeah, a, and, he, yeah. and he's a good prose writer. He knows. Yeah, how to no, he's definitely good with his words. And, uh, and has a beautiful introduction by a writer that I admire, uh, Lynn Tillman. And uh, Lynn Tillman wrote a beautiful introduction to this book. So yes. that's another plus here. And Mark is an amazing guitarist. Um, you and I have both seen him a couple times. And, yes. Um, yeah, if you ever have a chance to go see him live, he's incredible. Live. Lynn Tillman writes an introduction about when you see Mark Rabot play guitar, he actually sort of almost becomes part of his guitar, like he bends down and almost. Yeah, he does. Guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sort of becomes one with it. Yeah. <laughs> a, a guitar it's machine. interesting. I didn't realize that he's left-handed, but he learned to play guitar right-handed. Oh, I didn't. I, I missed that part. Really? Yeah, yeah. I know. That's pretty fascinating. So he's and huh, and he's born the same year as me as well. I know he's the same age as you. I didn't realize yes. that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit older. He's a tad older. A month or two. I think he's born two, in the yeah. same year, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Nineteen fifty-four. It was a great year. So, in a nutshell, I would recommend this book, even though I had my um, qualms about it. But my qualms... well, especially if you're a Mark fan. Yeah. Um, and I think musicians, especially, will love all the music stuff because he does yes. talk a lot about gear and. Yeah. Uh, he had a funny little bit about him and Robert Quine shopping for some little effects pedal that was yes. like some silly like thing. And he's like, he take he took great pride in the fact that only three were sold to him and to Robert and to somebody who returned it. Returned <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so people who are, you know, other musicians who are really into the gear chat will love that. But yeah. he, I mean, even as a non-musician, I, I enjoyed that. I thought it was Me too. Fun. I like when people are very passionate about what they do. I find that very infectious. So. And he's very passionate in this book. I mean, throughout yeah. the book, and his passion is very strong. Yeah, absolutely. So in a nutshell, I could be totally wrong about if this book is good or not. It, you know, it's... It's a book I kept coming back to throughout the week. And, um, you know, if I didn't like a book, I just will not think about it anymore. But it, stayed, right. it, stay, it stays with me. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a work that stays with you. So that itself is a big plus. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to Book Music. Um, next time, we have a really crazy book that I'm super looking forward to. It's called Nina Simone's Gum by Warren Ellis. Um, this is a piece of gum Warren Ellis confiscated from Nina Simone's piano and decided to hold on to it. Not her mouth, but from the piano. Yes, it was stuck on the piano. There's no so, way, uh... no way would I take gum out of her mouth. <laughs> um, the whole thing, the whole premise of this is just uh, hysterical, I think, and I'm really looking forward to reading that. Me too. <laughs> Um, so follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all the latest news. And we have playlists for all of our episodes on both Spotify and Apple Music. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> but his music is on there, so we'll have a nice playlist of Mark's music, which is really great. Yes. Um, and you can find links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.